0: Amen to that, huh? It's good to see everyone out here. Almost a new year, isn't it? Looks like you're all ready for it. (laughs) You still thawing out? Well, we'll see if we can warm you up. There was uh, a few developing between the pastor and the choir director of the Hicksville Southern Baptist Church. The first hint of trouble came when the pastor preached, dedicating yourself to service, and the choir director chose to sing, I Shall Not Be Moved. (laughs) Trying to believe that it was merely a coincidence, the pastor put the incident behind him, and the next Sunday he preached on giving. Afterwards, the choir sang the hymn, Jesus Paid It All. (laughs) By this time, the pastor was losing his temper. Sunday morning attendance, though, was swelling as the tension grew between the two of them. A large crowd showed up the next week to hear a sermon on the sins of gossiping. Would you believe the choir director selected? I love to tell the story. (laughs) There was no turning back now. The following Sunday, the pastor told the congregation that unless something changed, he was considering resignation. The entire church was shocked when the choir director led them in, Why Not Tonight? Truthfully, no one was surprised, though, when the pastor resigned a week later, explaining that Jesus had led him there, and now Jesus was leading him away, and the choir director couldn't resist, and they sang, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. (laughs) Ah, yes, it's a different way to look at those hymns, isn't it? Well, now that we got the silliness over, we get to the serious stuff. It is New Year's Eve. It's hard to believe that it's New Year's Eve. And a lot of times on New Year's Eve um, or the beginning of a new year, we begin to look at our lives a little bit sometimes, don't we? We look at the past year. We look at those things that we did well. We look at those things that we didn't do so well. Many of us conclude that we need to make changes in our lives. And if someone were to come up to you and ask you, what changes do you need to make in your life? How would you answer that question? Well, hitchhiking kind of on that subject matter, this morning, since it is New Year's Eve, I want to talk about finishing well, finishing strong. And I really want to pay tribute and dedicate this service, this message, to Mark Temple. Mark Temple finished well. And I'll tell you, that's important, and we're going to discuss how we can finish well this morning. Lord, I just thank you for each and every person that was able to make it here I believe, though, this message is not a light message. This message is probably one of the most important messages that we can hear. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you will fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. I ask that you will give right now this congregation a soft heart so they can receive your word. It can get planted deep within. I pray for ears that will be unstopped, that can hear. And may this message bring the life that you intended it to bring. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. How well are you running the race called life? Will you get the heavenly prize that Paul talks about in the book of Philippians chapter 3? Some of my favorite verses. Skip, can you put those up? It's worth reminding yourself regularly of these verses. Not that I've already obtained all this Paul's talking about. He hasn't achieved perfection yet or have already been made perfect. But I press on. Look at that. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I don't waste time looking Behind because that's under the blood of Christ, but I strain forward as a runner does with every fiber of my body. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can't imagine that moment Mark Temple dies. You see Jesus, nothing matters more than you hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You see, that is the prize. And I want you to know, though, that the Christian race is not easy. In fact, the Christian race is very difficult. Some people start out really well, but few finish well. That is biblically a reality for far too many people. And so the question is this this morning, how can I run the race well? How can I finish strong? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer. This is the text for this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 24. Paul writes this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. The Christian race is unique because all can run and all can win. Not all do win, but all can win. And that includes you, and that includes me Paul goes on to say, everyone who competes in the games, that is the Olympic Games, goes into strict training. Tom Landry, I don't know if we have his picture or not. Uh, Tom Landry is a man I've introduced you to many times. Skip might be able to get his picture up. He wore that trademark fedora hat. He was the legendary football coach. For the Dallas Cowboys, and I've told you before, he was a very strong follower of Jesus Christ. A lot of people didn't know that. In fact, he was on the board of the seminary that I attended in Dallas. And one day a reporter, though, asked Tom Landry this. How many of the rookies, there he is, that you draft have all pro potential? Landry responded by saying this. I would never, I would never select a young man to play for the Cowboys who did not have all-pro potential. Landry, though, went on to say this. The more important question is this. How many of them will become all-pro? And Landry answered his own question. Very few. Now listen, because most will not be willing to pay the price. And Paul writes, these athletes... They go into strict training. Why, Paul, do they go into strict training? Paul says in the last half of verse 25, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but in contrast, we believers do it to get a crown that shall last forever. You know, 2,000 years ago, when... A runner ran in what was the Olympic Games back then and they won. They would get a victor's crown and it was made of leaves and these leaves would be kind of formed into a crown and it would be placed upon the victor's head. But you know, the next day, those leaves, they would be dried and they would be withered, almost mocking, almost mocking the victor of the meaninglessness of his victory and that earthly glory is always fleeting. You ask any athlete and they'll tell you earthly glory is always fleeting. But Paul goes on to say this. Now watch what he says. But we, that's the believer, we don't run for a crown that's going to wither. We run for a crown that will last forever. You see, Paul's asking each one of us this extremely important question this morning. Am I building my life? Are you building your life on that which is perishable or are you building your life on that which is permanent? And Paul gives us this conclusion in verses 26 and 27. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. In other words, Paul says I have clear-cut objectives for my life. Because Paul knows that your objectives determine your outcome. Your objectives determine your outcome. What are your objectives? If someone came up to you and said, what are the objectives that are guiding your life? What would you say? Far too many of us would have temporal objectives. We might say, I'm out for a good job. I'm out for promotion. I'm out to have a nice family. I'm out to have a, a nice you know, house and car. I'm out to have a great retirement. See, those are temporal objectives. How many of us could rattle off and say, you know what my objective is? It's to look like Jesus. Did you know that's God's objective? Look it up, Romans 8, 29. God's objective for you and me is to look, to be conformed to the image of Christ. How many would say, my objective in life is to look like Jesus? And see, when I look like Jesus, you know what that's going to do to me? My next objective is people. I'm in the people business. And I want people who don't know Jesus, who are sick, who are lost, to know Jesus. That's my second objective. My third objective is for those who know Jesus to use my spiritual gift. Y'all, if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift to build up the body. See, those are eternal objectives. Your objectives will determine your outcome. What are your objectives, really? Paul then goes on to say this. I do not fight like a man beating the air. That is, Paul says, I'm not busy shadowboxing. I don't waste my life playing games. No, Paul says, I beat my body. Literally, the Greek says, I beat it black and blue. And I make it my slave. In other words, Paul will not allow his flesh to run his life. Paul absolutely refuses to allow his fleshly desires to rule over him. Why, Paul? Now watch this. This next statement blows me away. Paul says this. So after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's literally how it reads in the Greek. I myself will not be disqualified. Let that sink in for a moment If that was a live option for the Apostle Paul, what about me? What about you? This is the theologian of theologians. This is a man who wrote almost three-fourths of the New Testament. This is the missionary par excellence. And Paul says, I am scared spitless that after ministering to adults for the vast majority of my life, I too somehow might be disqualified. Wow. Now that is something worth contemplating this afternoon. Don't worry about watching the Dodge lose their last game of the season. <laughs> Spend your time on something that is meaningful. So the question has to be as we move towards communion. The question must be: how can I finish well? And I want to look at an example, one example of a man who finished well. He's a layman. His name is Caleb. The historical background of Caleb is found in the Old Testament book of Numbers in chapter 13... The Israelites have been freed from Egyptian bondage. They're winding their way through the wilderness. They come to a wide spot in the road called Kadesh Barnea. Skip, can you put up the map? There you will see Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is just before you enter the Promised Land. And it was in this very place, Kadesh Barnea, that the Israelites made a decision that determined their destiny. God had told the Israelites to go in the land, to go take the land. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. You go in, you take the land. What did the Israelites do? Did they do the Joseph thing? Did they do the Nike thing? Just do it? No, they did the church thing. You know what the church thing is? Form a committee. We will form a committee, and with all committees, there was a majority report, and there was a minority report. And the majority comes back, and they say, we can't go into the land. There are giants in the land. There are Texas-sized giants in the land. That's in the Hebrew text, trust me. And we look like God's grasshoppers. Now, there were two men who gave the majority report. Do you remember their names? well, that's excellent, I'm doing well teaching, all right. They would be Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. I defy you, though, any of you, and I've done this before, just name one of the 10 who gave the majority report. They can be found in Numbers chapter 13. You can take this afternoon and memorize them if you'd like, those names. But you say, why would I want to memorize a loser's name, right? Right? Americans love, come on, we love a winner. We know the winners. We love the winners. And so often, we think that the winners are those with the majority. Ding, thanks for playing, God says. Do you know that at least in the spiritual realm, the majority is generally flat out wrong? And they they, no, trust me, that's the problem. The majority spiritually speaking, is generally flat-out wrong, and they certainly were on this occasion. In fact, it's the result of a majority decision that an entire generation of people perished in the desert, except for two men. Only two men entered the promised land from that generation, Joshua and Caleb. They were the two men that brought the minority report. Question, what's the difference between the ten and the two? Did the two see too little? No, quite the contrary. The two said, yes, there are giants in the land. They said, in fact, we appear as grasshoppers compared to those giants. But what else did those two men see that the others did not see, that most of us do not see? They saw God as big. They saw their God as greater than the obstacle in front of them. Do you? Do I? Is your God bigger than the obstacles you're facing right now? For Joshua and Caleb, he was. And you know, as a result, and it absolutely astounds me, as a result of a majority decision, Caleb spends 40 years on a desert merry-go-round. 40 years. And when he gets off 40 years later, he's right back in the same spot where he started 40 years previous to that. And Caleb says to Moses, he's now 85 years young, get this now, and he says to Moses, I want that mountain. Now, trust me, that was not the Sarasota of the promised land. The mountain was where the enemy was entrenched, I don't know about you, but I want to know what this guy's inhaling for breakfast. He's 85 years old. And he wants to go to the place where there's going to be the heaviest fighting. What in the world is he thinking? And the answer is found in Joshua chapter 14. Three texts, very quickly, and then we move to communion. The texts are this. If you have time, you'll find this interesting. The texts are found in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 14 of Numbers chapter 14. And to really get the full impact of this, you really need to do this this afternoon. There are many years that separate verses 8, 9, and 14. In verse 8, in verse 8, Caleb is a young man. In verse 9, he's in the prime of his life. And in verse 14, he is a senior citizen and should be in Sarasota in a rocking chair. And each time in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 14, now listen to this. You hear hear the refrain, and Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Now, in verse 8, it's Caleb who's saying that. Skip can put that up, but it's in verse 8, Caleb's saying, he can say, ah, well, that's just youthful bravado. That's just Caleb, you know, know, bragging on himself. In verse 9, though, it's Moses the Magnificent who says that about Caleb. He says, and Caleb served the Lord wholeheartedly. He followed him wholeheartedly. Now, that's pretty impressive for the greatest leader probably on planet Earth to say that about you. But you know what? In verse 14, you know who says it in verse 14? As a senior citizen it 's God, God said, and Caleb served me wholeheartedly Now that is impressive. Caleb finishes well, Caleb finishes strong. What an incredible testimony and here here 's the point. why? Why does this man finish strong and well? because listen to me somewhere. Early in his life, he draws a line in the sand. He steps over. He puts a stake in the ground. And he says, as surely as I live, I am going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. That is the challenge this morning as we go to communion. That is a great New Year's resolution. That is an incredible New Year's resolution. You know, it bothers me. I've been a pastor over 30 years. And people tell me, I'm defeated pastor. Christianity doesn't work. I, I, I've got all, yeah, I mean, we've got strongholds on top of strongholds, some of us. I mean, we got people who are just passionless. They're just going through the motions. They say, I don't feel the presence. I don't feel the power of God. Well, do you understand why that is? Caleb served the Lord half-heartedly. 50%. 60%. 70%. No, he's not interested in that. Caleb served the Lord wholeheartedly. Let me tell you something, when you do that, you know, when you drive that stake in the ground and say, I here and now want you to know I am going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, you unleash the Holy Spirit in you. Not until then. You're just, you're just messing around. You're just playing. You know, I couldn't give you, you know. I, I see people, they're running over here to this seminar, and then they run over to here to this seminar. We're, we're just junkies. Just, just give me another emotional jolt, please, Pastor. There's no substitute. You can go to all the seminars you want, you can read all the books you want. No one's going to tell you this because it empties the seats. Americans don't like commitment. That's the one thing God asks of you and me. He says, I want you to commit like Caleb wholeheartedly to the Lord. And when you do it, now the power is released. Now you can overcome your strongholds in the addiction. Now you can be overcomer in life. Now you'll be able to finish strong and well. We end with this text. As we move to communion, just think about this. This kind of maybe you want to make this your text for this year. Hebrews chapter twelve. Skip. Can you put it up? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, there's a lot of there's a lot of Caleb's that have run. There's a lot of Caleb's that have put a stake in the ground and said, "I am going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly." And since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin, the tinsel of this world. Our fleshly desires that so easily entangle, Let us run with perseverance. How? The race marked out for us. How? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Oh, Lord. What a time. We are in the midst of a great battle. We are in the midst of a great war. So many of us don't even recognize that we're being taken out because of our apathy. We're being just mowed over and defeated in our strongholds and addictions. But now is a word of grace and a word of hope. If we commit to serving you wholeheartedly, you will infuse us with supernatural power as we move towards communion, may we think about that. May we today, may this be an incredible day of victory for BCC. As we dedicate ourselves to serving you wholeheartedly, I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.
1: Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website, at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our Statement of Faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org d e l m a r dot org Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known.